Hello, everybody. This is Dan Woods at Early Adopter Research. And today we're talking with Rob Bernstein, CEO of Coupa, about how he has led the adoption of AI and ML in the Coupa product. We're going to be talking both about how the Coupa product takes advantage of AI and ML and also what he and his team have learned about how to put AI and ML to use in a modern product. What I hope to do is capture lessons that would be useful for other companies that are also seeking to apply AI and ML either through products or by building their own solutions. Um, in my view, some companies are going to have success with AI and ML you know, in their own systems by building them from scratch using the tools. But I believe most companies are going to have uh, are we going to be using AI and ML as part of products the way Coupa uh, has, has presented them to them. Uh, but in either case, to achieve success, if you're a buyer, you've got to be a sophisticated buyer. You have to be able to evaluate the claims made about AI and ML and then understand how well the products work. In addition, I think you're going to have to build some new muscle. Uh, I think it's important to understand what, in what ways various AI and ML techniques uh, do well and when they're appropriately implemented. I think it's important to understand different ways AI and ML can work in tandem with human experts. Obviously, mapping and cataloging, cataloging all the data available in your enterprise and partner ecosystem is important because AI and ML lives on data. The more data it has, the better data it, it has, the, the better it's going to work. And so even if you're using a product, you can differentiate by delivering that product better data than your competitors. And then, of course, in order to do this properly, you're going to have to move data around between repositories and applications to create a complex and agile data supply chain. And then finally, and this is one of the more challenging parts, you have to learn how to debug data. Because in AI and ML, data is not just a descriptive quantity. It's also like the source code. And just like source code can have errors and, and, and lead to, to mistakes, so can data. And you want to be able to get good at understanding the bias in, in data sets. Uh, and any errors that create suboptimal results. So uh, having led Coupa through this process, CEO Rob Bernstein is gonna explain what Coupa has learned during this process about AI and ML adoption. So Rob, would you introduce yourself, please? Sure, happy to, Dan. So Rob Bernstein, uh, CEO of Coupa. We've been uh, building our business here for nearly a decade. Uh, and I'm excited to tell you a lot about uh, what we're all about uh, and get into the topics of uh, artificial intelligence without doubt. Well, let's, for people who don't know your company, what is Coupa and what is its mission? Sure. So we are what we call a value as a service company. And our mission is to help organizations around the world spend smarter. Uh, we think that companies are not employing information technology as effectively as they could inside their organizations, empowering employees in virtually every department and every geographic location to have access to very simple, intuitive tools that help them purchase the goods or services the company needs to operate effectively. And so we've created both a platform as well as a company that's focused on this mission. And we think that this mission allows us not only to help companies spend smarter, but ultimately allows them to have more operating resources and, and money, frankly, to reinvest in their own missions so they can pursue them vigorously um, uh, on a day-to-day -day, day -day basis. What's the origin of store, you know, story of Coupa? I mean, you know, what, was, what is your mission as an entrepreneur? Why did you feel that this company had to be created? Well, I appreciate that question. You know, I spent my entire career in, in enterprise software. 
I started out uh, implementing SAP back when it was uh, uh, the client server days and actually even before that as a programmer uh, coding in an existing uh, SAP mainframe uh, R2 system. So I had spent a lot of time in the financial uh, application software area and actually uh, was responsible for internal training uh, for Accenture um, where we brought on new consultants from their uh, college origins and helped them uh, get good at implementing these complex uh, ERP SAP systems. And I had always felt that there has to be uh, a better way in terms of better alignment with customers. You know, the, the software was very expensive. The consulting fees uh, that uh, the company I worked for was charging were very expensive. But a lot of times the customers sort of left out there in the cold. So I wanted to come out to Silicon Valley and be part of the solution to to creating the type of information technology that really drove value for customers and removed a lot of that friction. And along the way, I had the opportunity to work at, at Siebel Systems in the CRM space and then um, helped uh, develop a, a company where I was at a products uh, in the human capital management space. And with that experience, I first saw the power of having these applications delivered in an on-demand type experience uh, over the web. Uh, and uh, having built up that company as uh, on the management team and having gone public, I thought, what well, what is another space where there's this opportunity for not only on-demand as a service offerings, but a space where there was a lot of opportunity for greater operational efficiency, greater usability, greater value delivery for, for customers. And again, having been in the financials and the and the customer and the employee side, I thought the last entity was really suppliers and the way companies spend. So I've been spending the last decade or so, as I mentioned, uh, building up this opportunity. Now, this software is uh, not just uh, uh, an, an enterprise software the way that we've thought of it in the past. Coupa does provide enterprise software in the way we think of it, which is usually an application that is internal to a company that is then providing a way to do a function. But you also have relationships with suppliers. So you have something that's more like uh, an Amazon marketplace as well, not just a uh, an internal application. Uh, how, how would you describe your, your your product as a platform that that has one foot in the enterprise and one foot out of the enterprise? Sure, sure. It's very uh, interesting the way you frame it. You know, our first question was, where is the bigger problem today? Is the bigger problem that you know suppliers or vendors don't have access to great tools to help them sell? Or is the bigger problem that companies themselves don't really have their arms around the way they spend? And we really came to the conclusion that the latter is really the bigger problem. You know, if you look at the situation today, now 10 years later, the amount of tools that we have to help us sell are unimaginable. You know, the people trying to sell to me as the CEO of this company know when I'm on email, they know when I'm most likely to respond, they know our address, they know our location, they know, the, they know the other types of products we've bought, they know when we have the highest likelihood to spend. They've got all these amazing tools. But when you look inside many of the companies that you know we work with and have, have improved their experience, they really don't know whether or not they're paying the same price points for goods and services across a, a global enterprise. They, it, it often takes a very long time to get something approved. There's still a lot of paper purchase orders going out, paper invoices being matched, um, and a lot of inefficiency in the process. So we said, well, why don't we begin on the the buy side? Let's really begin with the spenders and charge them fairly for being able to get their spending in some level of control, 
minimize maverick spending, make sure their spending is on contract, delight the end users inside the company in terms of how they spend and expense. And as we began to do that, we saw very quickly that we were interfacing these uh, buyers with millions of suppliers. You know, Coupa now, um, we've enabled business for our buyers. We have hundreds of customers around the world with millions of suppliers. So in fact, to your point, we've gotten to a place where there's this collaboration happening between our buyers and suppliers. They're not only receiving orders, but they're sending their invoices back against those orders. They're collaborating around early payment discounts, for example. You know, some of our suppliers would like to you know, get paid earlier and they're willing to accept a little bit less money and some of our spenders are more than willing to accommodate that. So we've created this platform now that doesn't just service the needs of the buy side, but also service, services some needs of the supply side and creates a collaborative platform for them to do business one, with one another. It's really you know, the beginnings of B2B e-commerce on one platform, something that may have been discussed for a decade or two, but we're, we feel like we're really bringing into the market in a, in a real meaningful way today. Right. Yeah. And, and in the dot-com era, there were a bunch of uh, Ariba and a variety of other companies that were going to create these marketplaces where the center of the, the, the action was the central marketplace. But what you've done is said, look, the center of the action is the buyer and, and you're going to serve that buyer, provide them the tools they need, and then reach out from there, allowing them to create essentially their own marketplace you know, of what they're interested in. That's exactly right. And, you know, we stand on the shoulders of some of those companies in the late 90s, like uh, Commerce One and VerticalNet and Ariba and others. Uh, but, uh, you know, the advantage, huge advantage we luckily have today is we were able to build this platform uh, from the ground up as, as a cloud platform and also as a cloud business um, where everything we care about is the recurring revenue that we develop and the, the, the ability to keep our customers forever. Uh, as they add on more applications, more use cases, uh, as we encode more logic that's widely applicable. So we're in a very fortunate situation of been, been building up this value as a service business, you know, in 2008, 9, and 10, 11, when we could have started with a pure, true cloud uh, architecture and approach to the market. Now, there's two uh, uh, things I want to bring up before we get into the discussion of AI and ML. The first is you've chosen an unusual uh, platform to build your application on. When we spoke last in preparation for this call, you told me that you guys built all of, uh, of Coupa on Ruby on Rails. What went into that decision? That decision was actually made very early on uh, as part of even an open source project to figure out what is the best the best tools to use. You know, our, our technology is effectively similar to, to what's called the LAMP stack with Ruby at the core and uh, hosted uh, primarily on the Amazon. Um, but the logic was that if you're going to help companies spend smarter, you have to have visibility to spend. And the only way you're going to get visibility to spend is if you get very, very wide end-user adoption. And the only way you're going to get very wide end-user adoption is through the intuitiveness, the simplicity of your application. It has to be easier to use than any other alternative for spending money. If you're going to spend the company's money, you know, you could go to the to a store to buy something and expense it. You could ask your assistant. You can, you know, call your procurement group. You can, uh, you know, uh, collaborate with other employees. We want to avoid every other way of company spending other than wanting to go to Coupa. The same way over time, you know, Amazon is doing that for us clearly as, a, as consumers. So our concept here is the best UI or the best user interface 
is no interface. In other words, how do we avoid having to log in and do anything unless you absolutely have to as a human? Um, how can we do things more and more simple? And we continue to focus on that. You know, the, the letter U in Coupa stands for user centricity. It's something we're committed to. It's a, it's a key part of our vision. And we felt that uh, application capabilities or platforms, frankly, like Ruby, allow for that. You don't have to rebuild a lot of things, right? There are key widgets or constructs that come with, with Ruby that you could take advantage of. Everything from uh, simple things like a calendar widget or a drop-down field or some things that are repeated through the application. We thought we could leverage uh, Ruby for that. And it also gives us an opportunity to stay up to date. You know, as later and later releases of that platform come available, we stay true to that. And our customers don't even know it, but on the back end, we're staying up to date on some of the latest uh, capabilities that come out through these, these platforms. Now, you have built this application yourself primarily and only rarely have decided to do acquisitions. Recently, you, you, you purchased a company called Acquire. Uh, what was the motivation behind that acquisition? That's right. We've had a very clear strategy around what we build and what we buy. And the transactional capabilities are, of our application those are procurement, procure, expenses or expense management, invoice, invoice processing, and payments. Those are all organically built because we have literally millions of transactions going through our platform on a daily basis in any one of those areas. And we could not trust that to some sort of acquisition that we, try, we would try to snap in and integrate. So those capabilities are all organic. But as part of our strategy, we decided we may buy either what we call power user applications or distinct technology components. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Power user applications would be capabilities that are used by maybe two, three, 10, 15 users within a company on an ongoing basis. They sort of live in the application. These would be things like spend analysis or uh, things like uh, strategic sourcing or contract management as examples. Those areas that we we've always considered there as we you know, we could buy and integrate into our transactional core. Remember that transactional core is being used on a daily basis, you know, with you know, hundreds of thousands of users all over the world that we kept organic. So one acquisition strategy is we may buy power user applications. The other one is we may buy very distinct technology components that we think we could snap in relatively easily into our platform and take advantage of technology innovations that are out there. And the acquire acquisition falls in, you know, to that category. Now this company has you know, over a dozen patents and some very interesting technologies that what, what it is allowing us to do is deliver real-time, local access to supplier catalogs for the goods and services that customers need at the prices, at the terms negotiated by them or by Coupa on their behalf. And with this technology, we're really the only platform out there that's going to offer this real-time customer value. In our space, it's well, this is one dangerous. thing I don't. This is one thing I don't understand about the acquisition, and it didn't come across in the press release. What is the value to the user of, of Coupa of real time? It, it seems like most of the time when you encounter a catalog, it is real time in that you're you're getting the the price that you're going to pay. So the price is real time. Right. You know what? That's what else right. is real time that 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 is different? That's right. That's right. Uh, you're exactly right about what you said. There are really three ways to offer a good or service to an end user when they're in a, a platform such as ours. Let me, let me review them so you understand. One is catalog. That's exactly right. It's real time. The challenge of that is someone has to actually load those catalogs into your system. Someone has to bear that burden. 
They may be the buyer themselves who gets these catalogs in some format from suppliers and loads them in. That burden may be the suppliers themselves who have to keep those, those catalogs up to date and upload them through you know, a supplier portal, such as similar ones we offer, to keep those up to date. So there's some work that has to happen there. A second option is something called uh, punch out, which is very typical in our space. And that is you're working within a platform like Coupa, but you have to punch out to a third-party website. In that website, you see your preferential pricing, and then you have to pull it back into Coupa to then get it approved, routed, and, and then eventually ordered, which is a bit of a, a process that's very, very typical, by the way, but it's a little bit um, tough for the end user. It's a lot of going back and forth between systems. So what we've done there uh, is we, we bought a technology capability uh, from a company uh, in Switzerland about uh, seven or eight months ago, I believe, where they have capability for caching that data. So rather than you going out and having to pull it back in, it can be cached inside our system. And so when one person orders it, the next time someone else goes in and looks for the same item, they see it as if it's real time. But with Acquire, we're not capturing the third component of that, the third way to get this, and that is real time. So that means the moment that you're searching within Coupa for a given good or service, behind the scenes, Coupa is going out, getting that preferred pricing and pulling it in real time in front uh, of you. So it's, it's much more like an ad uh, network sort of thing. The, the idea is that the, 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 the search goes out, hey, somebody's interested in searching for this item. Does anybody want to respond with uh, a price? And you can say, yeah, I'll respond with this price. You know, knowing well, it's that even, it's, it's even faster. It's actually even faster than that. Yes, we have capabilities where, where you can go out for bid and, 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 and uh, suppliers would respond. But this is what works even faster than that. In real time, it's going out to those websites, pushing that query and pulling back the uh, preferential pricing that you've negotiated or we've negotiated on your behalf. So all elements, what we call this is a comprehensively exhaustive way to capture uh, purchasing in the enterprise. Again, either real time in a catalog that's hosted by us or in a cache setting where you're pulling that data from those the third party sites and then storing it within us or this final way where in real time you're going out and pulling that data from third-party sites. So there's really nothing else like it uh, in the market today. Everything requires, it, it requires either heavy lifting, Dan, or, right. or it's hard to use, one or the so, other. You have to give up somewhere. Right. So it's not, it's not exactly like an ad network in that you don't have like bidding rules and things like that, but you're getting the data, right? You're, they can change the pricing knowing confidently that it, that's gonna be reflected in anybody that looks at their catalog. That, that's correct, that's correct. And okay. that's the beauty, that's correct. Good. So, so now I, I think it's really important uh, that we went through that explanation of Coupa because it's important that we understand what you do with some level of granularity so we can understand the story of how you applied AI and ML. And so now let's move to that part of the interview. So when did you realize that AI and ML are going to be important? And, and, and more importantly, how do you think of these concepts? Because as we all know, there's many people out there talking very imprecisely about AI and ML and, and, and making claims that really can't be substantiated. You know, what would you, uh, what would you, how do you say, when, when did you realize this was going to be important and, and, and how did you come to think about it? Sure, sure. Well, I really appreciate that. I appreciate having covered the basics together because uh, we can build off of that in, the, in this discussion. Well, first of all, I, I realized the importance of this or have been interested in this uh, really since my days uh, getting my MBA and, and taking just one class down the road at, at MIT, 
where I saw some really interesting things being done in the AI lab there. And I'd always thought in the back of my mind that there'll be a point at which enterprise software is going to have to adopt these types of interesting technologies because enterprise software captures a lot of very important contextual data. So clearly there'll be opportunities for using, you know, principles or components of AI to make these systems smarter. You know, traditional enterprise software has been data in, data out, uh, and maybe in nicer, you know, uh, pie charts and different visualizations, but not necessarily prescriptive or offering real intelligence to the end user or the executives that use them. So I knew there'd be a point in time where uh, there'd be opportunity to, to employ these. And the limiters have typically been two things. I mean, one, as you mentioned in the introduction, not enough data. I mean, obviously you need a lot of data uh, so that AI becomes interesting. The same way we as humans, as we get older and older, the amount of experiences we have, you know, arguably should make us more intelligent. Um, and secondly, you need the computing power. You need the speed. You need the ability to run through these things, run through that data at, at pace. And, um, you know, the CPU has to be able to handle that. So both of these things have evolved a lot over the last, uh, you know, decade or two decades, which, which give us the opportunity to employ some very interesting AI techniques. And we began here, and we, we have a whole host of these all around our application platform. We began with something very, very simple. Uh, we bought a very small company with a couple of uh, smart folks who were working on uh, AI, effectively machine learning or rule-based machine learning, uh, for the problem of taking data off of an invoice and dropping it into a enterprise software product. Now, the reality is still today, so much of the invoices around the world are paper, they're emailed or, or excuse me, they're sent in uh, in letter format or even emailed in as a PDF to companies and some data entry clerk has to pull the data off and punch it into a system. There are some OCR type tools that have gotten relatively decent at pulling off data, but they're not necessarily smart tools. They're just, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at the characters, recognizing them, but they're not necessarily knowing where to drop them and how. Now this technology is very smart, it's rule-based. So what it does is it learns based on the types of invoices it's seeing, what data is the header data? What data is the line level data? What fields should it actually pull the data off of at the pixel level? and then drop them into, into Coupa. And as more and more invoices come, it starts to learn and create that closed loop situation where the quality and the amount of times people have to get involved becomes less and less and less, and the data store becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So that was our first foray into this area you know, of machine learning. And I can share with you many others that we've done since, but I just want to address your, your first question. Right. And so, so the idea is that you think of this as a way to essentially implement automation, you know, and, and do uh, 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 granular tasks that are annoying, but are susceptible to learning and, and, and you know, have, have you know, the ability to kind of uh, have lots of it are performed a lot so that you can, you can, you know, use the AI and ML to actually get ahead of them. That's exactly right. And the value proposition is very powerful. I mean, this is major FT reduction, or, or we call it full-time equivalent. So the reduction of employee expense and payroll for data entry clerks and others uh, that with a very high quality level allows us to automate a process that was effectively paper-based uh, through rule-based machine learning. So, so that was our first, you know, first exposure. Well, now, we thought, and, and yeah, please, so, you know, it often seems that, you know, in the adoption of enterprise software, and I'm sure you've, you've seen this the way your product is adopted, is that, you know, you, you, you get adopted in by one department or something like that, or you get adopted by one division, and then everybody sees it working, 
And then they go, you know what, this is a great idea. We're going to systematically adopt this over the entire organization. And that's a whole different problem than adopting it once, you know, in, in a division or something like that. And I imagine it was the same thing with AI and ML. You, you, you did this experiment. You said, oh, my God, this is working. Now you probably had to do an analysis of, of, of where are all the opportunities we have and then how do we understand which is the most important to go after first, second, and third? So you sort of uh, you know, had to do a bunch of project management work to figure out you know, what order you were gonna take it, you know, attack these opportunities. Can you describe that process or if you went through it? Sure, you know, and, and it also obviously captures this, uh, another area of, of, of machine learning, and that's in the area of spend analytics. You know, we are doing some very interesting, interesting things here. It's also, uh, actually a different approach than typical rule-based machine learning. We, we're employing a more of a what's called naive Bayes classifier approach, which is more probabilistic kind of classification of data. So what we do is we go into companies, and it may be starting in a certain division, but very quickly they start looking at the whole organization. That is, we analyze where have they been spending their money, and how much have they been paying, and where have they been getting discounts, and where they have not been getting discounts. We normalize their items we normalize their supplier base and we come back and tell them, hey, you know something? You think you're doing so great. We've identified, and we've done this for lots of companies, we've identified you know, 200, $300 million in savings that you can get if you simply route all of your purchases to the best contract you have in the entire company. All you do is that all those places where there's all this spending happening at subpar contracts, if you just routed it to your best contract, you have an opportunity to save hundreds of millions of dollars, something they didn't even know about. But these, these AI capabilities that help classify their data, normalize it, help them understand it, allow for that opportunity. So what, what often begins is a, a divisional conversation quickly uh, spawns into a global multinational level dialogue about how a major Fortune 100 company can save you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. So the power of this is really, really uh, something exciting for us. But then what I guess what I'm trying to ask is, after you had your first foray in the you know, optical character recognition, you then realized that there was a lot of other places that you could apply this. You know, mm. How did you decide which to go after first, second, and third? Like you said, spend analytics. Was that the next one that you went after? It was the next one I went after, and I'll take you to, to the third one as well. But, but I think to answer your question, the underlying uh, driver, the, the point is, where is the biggest area of value creation for your customers? You know, you started out early on saying there's all these AI and other companies, you know, sort of a lot of noise out there, a lot of companies being funded. I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's often technology, faced, you know, trying to get at a problem. What we've done is we started with the problem. Where are the biggest problems? You know, there's a big problem, as I mentioned, in paper-based invoices. Can AI be used to automate processes there quickly? Yes. Is there a big problem in people understanding all the areas where they're spending and perhaps spending, you know, in a way that isn't too smart? Yes. How can we apply AI there? Then we went to a third problem. I'll, I'll tell you this one. It's, it's incredible. This is an area of strategic sourcing, Dan. So this is, you know, you think of a company like a Walmart or a, let's take that one, for example. You know, they, every one of these stores has to have, let's say, apples in the, in the area of produce. And in that area, they need all those apples to be fresh and they need all of them. There need to be enough in inventory. They need to be ordered at the right price. And you have to think through the, the freight and you have to think through oh, how much you want to have uh, in inventory, how much you want to have, you know, on delivery. You have to think through every possible constraint to ensure that every store has exactly the right amount 
roughly exactly the right amount of apples with the right quality, with the right you know freshness, with the right amount in inventory. That is a problem that humans can continue to look to solve through spreadsheets, or you can apply algorithmic AI-based approaches to try to solve these problems. Do some mathematical optimization, right? Go through scenario analysis so that you can ensure that these things go well. So we started to address that problem. And now we have companies all over the world, some of the largest companies in the world, using our strategic sourcing capabilities and our mathematical optimization algorithms to optimize their purchasing. So really complex problems, lots of people working on them, but if you can employ AI here, you can deliver value. So it has to start with what is the value you can drive for your customers that will either save them a lot of money, make them more efficient, give them insight to things they didn't otherwise have, rather than beginning with technology for technology's sake. So what new skills did you have to, to uh, acquire inside of Coupa to, in order to you know, understand and build these extensions to your product? Well, it's two, two, two things. I would put them into two um, categories of competencies. One is obvious, which is the development capability, right? You need folks that have either some experience or really strong interest in getting involved in these types of uh, technology areas, right? I mean, you know, if you're a traditional programmer and you're used to doing SQL statements or writing FL statements, you know, you're not, you haven't been exposed to this world. So some exposure to some type of either rules-based machine learning or some some uh, approaches to AI that could be applied to problems. But equally importantly, Dan, I can't underestimate this, equally importantly to the development and technical capability is the product management capability. The folks that can really identify the value drivers that these technology technologies could be applied to. Because very often, you know, as I said, technology for technology's sake or product ideas, but never really supported with properly created um, technical capabilities. So it's the marriage of those two. And we've been fortunate enough to attract and hire some incredible folks in our product management team and have bought companies with uh, AI expertise as well as hired people with AI expertise that work together hand in hand to bring these innovations to market. So where are you going next? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing now and where we're going next for me is by far the most exciting because everything I shared with you so far around these are things that really one customer at a time, if you will, right? You're dealing with invoices for one customer at a time to some degree. You're dealing with spend analytics with one customer at a time. You're doing sourcing one customer at a time. Of course, you're taking your intelligence and insight from each experience and leveraging it, but you're doing it one customer at a time. What we're starting to do now uh, is a concept we call community intelligence. Okay, now community intelligence takes advantage of the now literally hundreds of billions of dollars in transactional spend running through our platform. We're getting closer and closer every day to a trillion dollars running through our platform. As I mentioned, more than four million suppliers with hundreds of companies all over the world. How can we use the intelligence of our entire community of growing customers to help each individual customer get smarter and smarter about the way they spend? And we have now launched products that are doing very well in the marketplace that leverage this community intelligence concept. One, just to give you a sense for it, Dan, is a product called RiskAware. This product looks at all of the suppliers that our customers are working with and without bothering them in any way, pulls data such as how often is a, are our buyers having disputes with our suppliers? How often are 
these suppliers sending invoices that are higher than they ought to be? How often are they sending products that are broken, for example, or not on time? And we take all of this data and we massage it on the back end, clean it, sanitize it, normalize it, and then massage on the back end to then come up to each individual customer and say, hey, we notice you're buying uh, spend in this category and you're considering this supplier. Well, let us tell you that perhaps you should consider a different supplier, one that actually doesn't over invoice, one that does deliver on time, then that does do it with quality because our community is seeing much more success with them. So we give these prescriptive tools to each of our customers so they can get smarter and smarter about the way they spend. And, and we're just touching the tip of the of what's possible with, with community intelligence. That's just, just one example I'm giving you there. Got it. And then which of the AI techniques uh, have you found um, uh, to be most productive for your applications? Because one of the things that's interesting is that I believe that, that, that AI is a spectrum of techniques. Almost all of the work in AI is decades old, but it's only that's become right. relevant because it's possible to have the data and the computing power to actually make it work now. But there's a whole range of, of sophistication from the simpler, more rules-based systems, which are, I believe, legitimately concerned, you know, considered AI and, and machine learning, to more complicated techniques that involve, you know, much more data and much more math, such as the, the sort of uh, neural networks and, 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 and TensorFlow, you know, style, you know, massive, you know, systems that learn, you know, on huge amounts of data. Um, or the systems like the AlphaGo system that where it, it sort of learns by playing itself, you know, and figuring mm -hmm. out what's going on. So now, you know, have you found that any of these techniques uh, like uh, have been better or worse for you? Have you found that it's better to start with simpler techniques and then gradually move up the, the, the sophistication chain? Yes, that's a great question. I couldn't agree with you more that this stuff has been around for such a long time. I still remember in the mid-80s reading this book by uh, by Pamela McCordick. I actually still have it in my office from the late 70s, actually, Machines Who Think. So we've been talking about this since the days of, uh, uh, since, since those days, without a doubt. I, I would say to you, first off, you, you have to begin with the problem that you're trying to solve in mind. That, that's, that's very, very important to all of this. Rather than just technology for technology's sake, you've got to look at what is the problem you're trying to solve. If we try to solve, you know, uh, looking at invoices from a neural network's perspective, I don't think we would be really successful with that, right? We began with a rule, rules-based approach. If you tried to solve, you know, very complex strategic uh, sourcing events and algorithms with, um, uh, with uh, with rules based, that might not be the right approach either. So you have to begin with the problem set. But yes, our experience has been been that uh, you begin with the most uh, the most simplistic approaches first, and then evolve from there. The one thing I will tell you, there has to be some element of closed loop if it's AI. This is the part that I think a lot of people don't fully internalize. Uh, you know, the power of that there has to be some sort of closed loop. Experience. In other words, with every interaction that they, that AI system is having, it needs to pull in the outcome of that and make that part of the data store upon which it applies its next set of um, intelligence. That's very, very important. And I think a lot of times people classify these capabilities in ways that are part of AI, but really aren't because they don't have that closed loop concept. Now, today we're doing things that go even further. I'll, I'll give an example. So, in our so, but, but just, just to, yep. to stay on that for one second. The idea is that the closed loop allows you to understand how well you did and then do better next time. 
Well, the closed loop incorporates the outcome of what just happened into your experience set for the next interaction. So when I think of AI, if you take off the A, it's the same part as in intelligence. Every interaction I have builds upon my data set, and then I, next time I make a decision, it incorporates the experiences, my entire set of experiences, not applying the same rule over and over, right? Otherwise, I wouldn't be intelligent. It's the same thing with artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence at some level has to incorporate that closed loop concept. And look, I, look, I'll give you a very simple example that we have in our uh, contingent workforce area, uh, this concept where we help uh, companies rank the candidates that they might want to use um, as part of temp labor. So they might want to have, uh, they want to have, might want to have some staff augmentation, or they might want to get some consultants in a certain area that, that can help the company. Well, it's one thing to help you sort of rank those candidates based on experience and things that they've done. It's another thing to rank them based on the success rates you've had with candidates like that in the past. And if you incorporate the success rate you've had in the past, the system gets smarter and smarter and smarter. That's a very important concept, the closed loop. So we're always thinking about how can we make our system smarter and smarter, not only because it's advantageous for us as a competitor out there, right? We want to have the best data. We want to have the smartest systems. It creates a, a moat or barrier to entry for anyone that wanted to be involved with us. But it also drives greater and greater value to our customers because not only are they going to be able to you know, automate business processes, spend smarter, um, and capture their, uh, their end user spend through our system, but they'll be able to know that with every month of working with us, they're going to get better and better and better at the business problems we're helping them solve. And, and that's at the very root of, of, of what I think is happening in this whole AI uh, revolution in my mind. Well, good. Well, now let's sum up a little bit. I would like to kind of, you've, you've, you've answered some of the questions I'm about to ask um, uh, with some really good points. And, and we'll, let's review those and, and then also add any more that we haven't covered. And so uh, the idea is, in your journey, you know, starting with the, the invoices and moving through the other uh, areas where you've applied uh, AI and ML, what would you have done differently now looking back? You know, I think we could have gone even earlier in terms of investing in this area. You know, this, uh, I think we're actually very early relative to anyone in around our space, but I think we could have been even earlier. I think that, uh, you know, uh, the biggest mistakes you often make is that you, you don't act as quickly as you might like to act when you, when you look in retrospect. So we, we're, um, you know, we're a fast moving company in general and we tend not to sit on things, but we could have gone even faster. We could have attracted more of that type of talent earlier on. We could have been exploring more use cases of AI earlier. Uh, having said that, I feel like we're, you know, we're in a good position in terms of where we are today. What mistakes do you see other vendors or other companies making in adopting AI and ML? One of the biggest mistakes I see being made out there is that, you know, a lot of vendors put AI and, you know, the subcomponent sub ML, right, all over their marketing literature and they say, well, we have that too, kind of thing. And so when buyers go out to decide who they want to work with, they check the box on AI ML with, with vendors without really knowing what they're getting. And I think that's a real big mistake on behalf of the, 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 the buyer. So it's upon vendors like ourselves, or we'd like to say partners like ourselves, to make it much more explicit so that folks understand there's a difference between you know, the intelligence level of human beings. There's also a very distinct difference between the, the level of intelligence a platform can offer you. And it's upon us to show the value drivers of that so they understand it in business terms 
and not just resort to the sort of checking the box on something that may or may not deliver. Got it. So the idea is that the, the user too has to understand the problem that they're seeking to get solved, not just the person creating the solution. Absolutely. Now, what advice do you have for companies attempting to develop their own solutions? You know, either, you know, an, uh, an internal, uh, uh, you know, company like a, somebody who would use your product or a vendor. Sure, sure. Well, the biggest is, and we've covered this to some degree, is begin with the problem set in mind. I mean, what are the problems in your company that are not operating as efficiently as they could or are subpar in terms of efficiency? And if you could apply intelligence to the problem, how much bang for the buck can you get? Those tend to be very interesting problems. They typically have a lot of data involved with them. They typically have a lot of inefficiency and, under, and, and visibility to data. That's what I would begin with. Once you understand the big problems, that then look for the tools or, or approaches that can best address those, those business problems. Got it. So now, what would you say to a company that says, you know what, I know what I can do and what I can't do. What I really think is the smart thing for me to do is to adopt AI by buying products that put it together or, you know, by using products I already have that, that, that add it to the, what, you know, they're doing for me. You know, what would you advise them to do in order to, to get the best results? Well, so if you're a vendor like us or a smaller company, a larger company, you know, I would say you want to capture as much data in a key uh, area that's important to companies first. Because data, you know, this is a, a known metaphor, but data is kind of the new oil, right? There will be different rigs that, that are produced, different innovations in terms of the rigs that pull the oil up, uh, just like there'll be new algorithms and new AI approaches. But the oil itself is what's so critical. So if you're a vendor, develop a, a business around the core data set that you believe is going to be very, very important for customers for the long term, and then think about ways to leverage that data set to bring intelligence to those companies around that data. I think too many companies that are getting funded, and I see many of them, they have interesting algorithms, different AI approaches, but then they're not necessarily easily connecting to any data, nor are they coming with an existing data set. And I think those will wind up being you know, light tuck-ins or will be acquired by those that have uh, the, the, the data. So that, that would be my advice. Now, what about your advice to companies that are going to be using AI purchased through products? How can they make the best of their situation? Well, the first thing it begins in the selection process. And again, we touched on this. You have to really dig in, dig through what is the value proposition a vendor is offering you rather than just checking it off? I mean, as you mentioned in the, in the, in the opening, there's so many people that are just saying, hey, AIML, we have that, and they're checking off the box. They should go in and have vendors show them how the use of AI is going to make, uh, deliver a business value for them that's measured in dollars and cents. Again, either great operational efficiency, greater revenue improvement, greater market share gain, whatever it is, but it's got to be something that they can see on a financial statement and not some sort of, you know, fantasy kind of uh, sales pitch. That's number one in the selection. And then secondly, in the deployment, uh, best practices get implemented as quickly as possible so that your automation components and all of your data sets are, begin to get captured. Because the quicker you get transactional data going through a system, the quicker you start to automate underlying business processes, the faster you're going to get to a place where you're actually able to get some intelligence out of that data and improve. And I think a lot of times these projects, they begin with a, 
a very bold approach, but they don't they don't necessarily do the underlying work required to to get to that bold outcome. Uh, the key is do the grunt work first, and then you can reap the benefits of some of these things that we're we're producing. Now, what do you think for the average company that's going to be using AI systems, either AI and ML systems, either that they built or that they purchased through products? What is success going to feel like? What is it going to look like? Well, if we zoom out here really high for a moment, Dan, if you think about what's happening in the world, you know, seven and a half billion people, you've got a situation where we're in a global marketplace. Yes, there's some protectionism uh, currently, but that's probably a short-term dynamic. I mean, if you have a business and a great value proposition, you could take your, your product or service to the market very, very quickly. So you're going to compete based on, one, your operational efficiency, uh, you know, how well you operate. And you can compete on how intelligent you are in that market, how quickly you can adjust, how agile you are, how quickly you can reinvent your business, and what type of insight and outcomes you can create for your customers. Intelligence and artificial intelligence is at the very tip of that. When we talk about, you know, pundits and, and, uh, and, and others talking about software continuing to take on more and more of the of what's happening in companies and, and the entire, you know, digital transformation underway. Once everything's digitized, it's about, you know, how smart and thoughtful we are with, with understanding our customers, our suppliers, our employees, our cash. So this is a very big thing that's just beginning to happen. And I would urge anyone that's uh, thinking about exploring this area to explore it deeply and understand it because the future is going to be based on it. Excellent. Well, Rob, this has been a really fun call. I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, it's time to close down yet another fun and interesting early adopter research podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you.